The warmest of greetings to you, and welcome to Happily Ever Teaching. This is the podcast to help you enthrall your learners in a knowledge-rich curriculum using the best teaching method known to science, storytelling. To do this, we feature special guest educators who are passionately keen to empower your children. I am storyteller Chip Cahoon, and with me today is... Victoria Bono. I'm a primary teacher on the South Coast, founder of Tiny Voice Talks, and recently published author of Tiny Voices Talk. And I'm Kate McBracken. I'm a year one teacher in Buckinghamshire. I was a speaker on Toria's podcast a little while ago, and I'm one of the contributors to her book as well. And today we are exploring what English we can teach with a beautiful Hindu myth on the nature of grief. You can listen to the story by downloading our sister podcast, Fables and Fairy Tales, or search our website, epictales.co.uk, for grief awareness, which should help you find the story of Yami and Yama. There you'll find a video of me telling the story that you can share with your children. And if you're an epic educator as of November 2022, you'll also get the story as a paperback, gorgeously and sensitively illustrated by Heather Zeta-Rose, which should be with you in time for National Grief Awareness Week. Don't worry if you miss that though, as you can also order the book from any bookshop, including Amazon, and Epic Educators can access the ebook and full audiobook through the Epic Tales app. In fact, I'd like to take a quick moment to thank everyone who's signed up to be an Epic Educator so far, because by doing so, you're also supporting this podcast, so we can keep sharing these off-the-shelf lesson ideas every week. Right now, though, let's continue our discussion with Caitlin, Toria, Yami and Yama. And since we are in an English episode, which is all about words and print and reading, I think it's it's only worthwhile that we should mention that a book has recently been published for you, Toria, the Tiny Voice Talks book. Um, I know you're very loath to speak about it, but I really <laughs> want to push you on this. I'm not loath to speak about the book because actually the contributors to it are phenomenal. Mm. I just get awkward speaking about me, but I can talk about the contributors. <laughs> so basically, Tiny Voice Talks, for those that know, is very much about putting the voice of the quieter educator up front, giving them a platform. And, mm. you know, I've done that with the podcast and now there's the book. And I'm so grateful that we've got 37 contributors, all of whom speak about different things in the book. Well, it's from early years to further education, which I think is phenomenal. And the chapters are so utterly diverse. So you've got a chapter about period education. You've got a chapter about schemata in maths. You've got a chapter about which letter are you, which is about LGBTQIA+. You've got a chapter mm. about coaching mentoring. I mean, there's so many. And then you've got Caitlin's fabulous chapter, which is called Kintsuki, <laughs> which I absolutely love. And the very first time I read it, which was August 2021, if I'm right, Caitlin, when you sent it through to yeah, me. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, it, it really <laughs> made me feel emotional and I thought wow that is absolutely pertinent to me mm. and I don't know Caitlin if you want to mention a little bit about what Kintsuki is because I think that's important. Yes. So for people that haven't come across it and most people haven't Kintsugi is a Japanese concept so it comes up a lot in this sort of Facebook shareable quote kind of things you see a ceramic pot where all the cracks have been sealed with gold and it's the idea mm. that things are made more beautiful for having been damaged and repaired mm -hmm. and that's sort of the avenue that I took with my chapter 
talking about my journey to becoming a teacher and the people who have supported me along the way. Yeah, which again fits so well with this particular story that we're discussing right now. But I also love the fact that obviously, Tori, I know you don't like talking about your own role in this, even though it's absolutely instrumental and the book would not be there if it weren't for you. But that's something that we don't really talk with children all that much about. The the fact that writing can be a collaborative process. Mm. And I sometimes wonder why we don't occasionally encourage our children to edit each other's work or even to take the role of of editor and contribute pieces to some kind of, I don't know, class magazine or newsletter that one or two children can have an editorial role over. Is that something that you've done with your children before that you, or that you'd consider doing? So I've developed collaborative feedback within my class. So hmm. if you go into the history of feedback and editing and everything else within teaching, you know, there's this theory that, oh my goodness, children can't edit each other's work because they don't have the skill set. But actually, they, they can hear. So it's, mm-hmm. the idea of collaborative feedback, which was Shirley Clark and I want to say Haylock, I might be wrong. What I do with my children is when they are working on their English, one of them puts their book on top of the other one. So they, whoever is the actual writer puts their book on the top. They mm-hmm. hold their pen because it is their piece of work. It is their writing. They then read it to their peer so the, the peer isn't going, oh, I can't read your writing or you've spelt this wrong. So they read it. And then what happens is the peer can say, oh, my goodness, that's such a good idea. And they get, they give themselves two ticks if it's a great idea. Or they discuss actually what they can improve. And then they work on an editing process together. So they're improving each other's. Mm. And I think that works really well because it empowers the other child to write because there were so many people sent me their writing through. There are 37 people in the book, but I received over 70 different contributions it was close to 100 I think that I received and each one said I don't know if this is what you want and I think we're very apologetic about our writing we often Mm. go I'm really sorry before someone else reads it and what we want to try and break for our children is that let's apologize about our writing before anyone else sees it Mm. and my theory with the collaborative process is that actually children are proud of what they've created before they write it but interestingly and this is I I don't think I've shared this before but actually when I first sent off the book to the publishers I put all all the contributions in there and I wrote a paragraph at the beginning and a paragraph at the end because I was so worried about having my voice heard because I was really scared you know I didn't want people to think that I was making it all about me so I only Mm. put a paragraph at the beginning and a paragraph at the end and it was actually the publishers that said we need you to write more Toria we need you to to thread it together we need you to have your voice heard too it's an interesting thing because I too was really fearful about what people would think of my writing but actually I find writing really cathartic and that's one of the things that I wanted to pick up on within Mm. the English lessons with children and it's one of those things that if I'm feeling very stressed very antsy whatever I will pick up a pen and I will just write Let's stick there then with ages 7 to 11. And, and the, I love the idea of writing as therapy. I mean, so mm. many therapists will encourage you to, to journal or to just jot a few things down. So, yeah, how, how are you approaching that with your 7 to 11 year old, Toria? 
it's one of those things that you've got to be really careful of because when you're teaching children to journal per se or just capture their thoughts, it's about them understanding that they're capturing it, but it's not from the point of view of you're going to edit it, you're going to mark it, you're going to, you know, this is just, it's a different thing. You're going to capture it. Hmm. But I think it's also helping them to understand that when they are journaling, it doesn't need to be in any way, shape or form. So it doesn't need to be dear diary followed by lots of sentences. They can write Mm. diagonally. They can write upside down. They can write in circles. They can just write words. (laughs) It's absolutely fine to do it however they wish. And I think often they get very stuck on it having to be line after line after line and, and just expressing. And I think the expressing emotion, yes, but actually journaling is so much more. And I know, Caitlin, you've done journaling, haven't you? And you and you, you, you sort of do very decorative journal and all that, I don't mean, you? I do want to have the time, otherwise it does end up being <laughs> that cathartic, oh, I've written a page. But no, I think yeah. there is something in that, you know, for teaching children that it doesn't have to be that perfect paragraph of text. And that's really Mm. difficult to do in schools because teaching younger children, it's all your words have to sit nicely on the line. They have to be all the same size. It has to be, you know, capital letter, full stop, but don't start Mm. a new line unless your sentence is long enough, you know, that kind of thing. But then when they've reached that sort of maturity level that the mechanics of writing is all there, it's teaching them that creative freedom. And that's something that I think definitely should be doing you know teaching children that they can write for pleasure as much as they could read for pleasure or do anything else for pleasure yeah oh definitely yeah and i don't know i mean i i would personally encourage encourage almost not not quite the opposite but almost the opposite and just allow children of any age to just scribble and get it down and then go back to it and start putting the mechanics in again because that is the process of most writing that we do in our daily lives you know that you probably don't want to send an email without reading it over um, at least once to make sure it's good to go and you know that's that's just a habit that you need to cultivate really Mm -hmm. Um, the the very first words that you splurge onto a page are, are never the words that you know would get printed by a public they're, they're always going to have to go through, you know, several drafts and several read throughs. And oh, yes. that's part of the fun. You know, part of the fun is taking your first splurge of unordered thoughts and then thinking, well, actually, how can I put this in a way that is going to make sense or is going to be attractive to a reader? Well, I, I find it fun anyway. Editing is one of my favorite processes. I didn't expect the editing process of, you know, submitting a chapter to Utoria. I didn't expect the editing process to be as positive as it was because I'd written you know six or seven different versions of my chapter before I submitted it and then getting the edits back and realizing that it was a positive experience and it wasn't like somebody was mm. going to come in and stamp all over it and it's very much what you were saying with the collaborative feedback that you do with your class mm. turning that idea of giving your work to somebody else to look at into a positive experience and that actually you can come back and say oh well I don't quite agree with you there can we yeah. you know can mm. we change it back absolutely so it's building that positive experience out of something that children and adults find quite nerve-wracking yeah and i would say you know picking up on what you were saying chip developing children's understanding of the fact that we write for different reasons we write Mm. shopping lists and shopping lists look different to stories look different to poems and actually journaling can look completely different to all of that understanding that you know there's personal writing and there's writing for others and actually when you're writing for an audience that is going to look different to if you're just writing for yourself and I think often within 
school, we can become very hemmed into we're writing for an audience. Mm-hmm. And actually what we're not allowing children to do necessarily is learning to write for themselves. Because actually what we want to create is we want to create writers. We want to create those children that go home, pick up a book and just write for themselves. Yes. Yeah. But often... We create children who write for a purpose and for an audience and the purpose is told to them. You are writing this for this and this is who you're writing it for. And Mm. I think purpose and audience is absolutely critical. But at the same time, I think we need to temper that by enabling children to understand that just as they would draw a picture of whatever they wanted because they felt like it, they can do exactly the same with writing. Yeah, absolutely. Very much with you on that. Purposeful writing is important. Relevant writing is important. But both of them need enthusiastic writing to to work. And um, yeah, that's that's where we got to start, really. Have you any more um, English topics? Oh, of course you have. (laughs) It's loads. It's English. Um, Right. I personally think grief lends itself incredibly well to poetry. And poetry Hmm. is one of those things that we can often forget to focus on an awful lot. So the first thing I would want to do with lower key stage two and upper key stage two is look at a variety of different poems about grief and Hmm. to discuss them. And there are so many great poems out there. And what I would suggest to any listeners is pick ones that you really like the look of, because I was going to share specific ones. And then I thought, actually, they're they're ones that I like and that I would be comfortable teaching, but they're not Mm. necessarily ones that another teacher would be comfortable teaching. But I think there are lots of different ones and you've got the longer poems, but equally, you've got some beautiful haikus out there that are just the short poems that really capture the essence of grief Mm -hmm. and then i would lead on from that and get children to write their own poetry but interestingly we go back to what i was discussing pshe which was the color of emotion because i think you could start off your poem with grief is gray Grief is yellow. Grief is orange. And actually really get them to unpick it. If grief is too much of a word, then sadness. So sadness is grey. And actually really getting them to think, what sadness is grey. You could link it into similes. Sadness is grey, like the clouds when it's about to rain. And you could use some of the other words that described in that sentence. Yami's reaction to her brother being asleep in quotation marks. So the colour of confusion and anger. Yes. Oh, my goodness. So actually, yes, you could do sadnesses. Confusion is nice. So I think actually I would do a whole poetry unit on this. So I'd Mm. look initially at different types of poetry, get children to unpick which ones they really like, which ones they don't like, and then move on to children writing their own poetry. Again, I think it's very teacher dependent. So some teachers will be happier doing a haiku poem. I personally love a metaphor poem. I really do. So that's where I would go with English very much. And there's a strong link there, I think, between both of those, because often if we journal our thoughts and and then turn those thoughts into poetry. That's a real powerful way of dealing with difficult emotions, writing them down and then actually going back and editing them. It's, it's part of the processing element of, of the grieving process, I think. Um, I know I'm sort of using the same word in different parts of the sentence in a very subtly different way, but it's, it's all the reason why writing is used as therapy is because it's a way of externalising and then going back and 
having a look at it again and thinking how you might express it differently, even if the audience is still just yourself. Um, that can still be quite a, a powerful thing to do. And absolutely, poetry is a, a beautiful way mm. of doing that. And I think linking it to that sort of colours of motions and so on, yes, it's yeah. a really nice, because you could do that as an input lesson and, and develop it on. I think there's so much there that I think mm. actually you could spend a good three, four weeks just focusing on, on that, actually. Well, I would. Okay. If, I, if, I was, if I had my way, that would be me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's come back down the school then to ages four to seven. And Caitlin, what's the English that you would use this story for? Well, I've had a couple of ideas, but I'm going to bounce off something that Toria said, coming back to that sort of colours of emotions, because the younger children are often very familiar with that kind of concept, because coming out of the mm. pandemic, lots of teachers went with the colour monster, looking at how children were feeling, children were feeling as they were coming back to school and sort of pinning those to different colours. So I think, mm. you know, younger children could run with that in a more simple way, they could run with that as well. But my focus was more on oral storytelling, retelling the story in different ways, purely because that's at the forefront of my mind. It's sort of what I've been doing with my children at the moment, telling different stories uh. and getting them really familiar with it and finding different ways that they can help each other to remember the stories. So we've done going around the class and trying to tell the story in order and people sort of jumping in and going, oh, wait, but that bit comes before here and them sort of sorting mm. out for themselves the order of events, but then sort of turning that into a story map with their drawings and a few bits of writing on there and then end of year one year two age children can rewrite it for themselves as well so sort of looking at that progression of retelling a story but with the really little ones you know you can have some fun with it you know i'm thinking sort of tough trays with the different animals in so children can use that language development you know they can mm -hmm. act it out for themselves you know with, with the different animal figures or the different characters as well so would, would you be wanting them to retell the story and innovate in some way to i think to so i think there's definitely it. scope for that maybe changing how characters react because some children might sort of really dislike that frustration that comes from some of the other characters towards Yami and they might want to sort of mm. get rid of that or they might change Yami's reaction to that depending on sort of mm. how they see the story and how they think it sort of should be or how it should have been. Some children will have a story like this and think about it really deeply and even younger ones can get really moral about things. Oh yes. <laughs> and you know tell you straight you know that's not how it should have been I think it should have been like this. So mm. you know it's knowing your children and their sort of maturity what they can do and pushing them to do that. And saying to them, you know, at what point does it become a completely different mm -hmm. story? So if, you know, some of them may be unhappy with the fact that Yama dies yeah. and you have to say, well, if he doesn't die, is it the same story mm -hmm. or is it something completely different? Yeah. That's all we have time for in this episode, folks. If you'd like to talk to us about anything you've heard in this podcast, or if there's a subject you are soon to teach that you'd like us to cover, you can find us on social media using at Teach Happily, or leave us a review using your favorite podcast app. Please also share this podcast with your colleagues and help us start a story-led revolution in classrooms around the world so children everywhere can enjoy knowledge-rich learning in a way that's effective, memorable, and enjoyable all at the same time. Tomorrow, Yami and Yama will help us teach maths. But right now, it only remains for us to say cheerio, and we hope to hear your story soon. So... And we hope to hear your story soon. <laughs>